Hey everyone, I'm Brenda and I'm Julia and you're listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Your 20s are known as both the most exciting and most confusing years of your life. We're here to share our stories, to have real and raw conversations, and best of all, to make you feel a little less alone. This podcast was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. everybody and welcome back to Roaring 20s podcast. Today we have on with us Dr. Batsheva Marcus. She is the founder and the director of Maze Women's Sexual Health, the country's largest independent women's sexual health center. She's a licensed clinical social worker with a master's in public health, a master's degree in social work, a master's degree in Jewish studies, and a PhD in human sexuality. Yes, all of those things. And she is the author of the book we'll be discussing today, Sex Points. We are so excited excited to have you on the show. Thank you for being with us. I am so excited to be here. You guys make everything so much fun. I'm like, you're going to even make me seem fun. Oh my God, <laughs> you're already fun. You're so fun. <laughs> you're making us more fun. Okay, good. We'll just do fun together. It's, it's perfect. I know so many people are going to be looking forward to this episode. It's a topic that is actually me and Brenda were having a funny conversation today. Brenda, tell her what you told me about the polls. Yeah. So uh, normally around every morning we post, you know, a little something about our, you know, what, what they, people can expect from today's episode, blah, blah, blah. And then we also post some polls. So sometimes they're random. Sometimes they're relevant to our episode on our social media, Instagram story. And we normally get a good amount of people responding to those polls. But when it came to specific topics about sex, there was a significantly less, like I'm talking about, I want to say 80% less uh, responses than we normally participation. get. Participation in questions, you know, about whether you listen to music during sex, like all these, all these different things. And I think it's so fascinating because it's clear that it's still so taboo. And although people are so curious about what the heck is going on and how they can improve and what's normal versus what's not common, it's something that people are scared to identify themselves with and put some sort of label or even express. But counter to that, the episodes that get the most listens are episodes that have to do with sex, dating, intimacy. So it's interesting, the dichotomy there, they're so curious about it, but don't want to be like vocal or like attached to it in a way. It's so funny. You know, it, like I always am saying, like we live in this world where we're like on the one hand drenched with sexuality. Like you turn, it's the billboards and it's the TV shows and it's the everything, you know, it's the, um, you know, the movies, everything, and social media, but nobody's actually talking about sex. Like nobody has like real conversations. So that makes such a dramatic difference. Like I feel like if people could just fucking talk about sex, we would be in such a such a better place. So, and I'm not surprised. I have something on Facebook called the ultimate sex book club, where every month or two, we pick another book and we mm. talk about it. And it took so long for me to get people to be talking and I, and it's not even personal, but there's something about opening yourself. that just makes you feel so vulnerable. And everybody, as you said, always feels like they're abnormal or yeah. anyway. Yeah. It's really, it is amazing. Isn't it? It's so interesting. And we're going to dive more into that. I would love to talk about that also in relation to the sex education that we receive. Or not. Um, yeah, that we don't receive in right. school. Happy sex education is unbelievable. Yes. It's unbelievable. But before we get into all of that, I would love you, for you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your story, where you're from, and if you don't mind saying how old you are since this is Roaring Twenties. 
Yeah, no, no, no. I am the old lady on this podcast. So yes, I am like, I call myself Instagram mom. That's just because oh, they made my me. Oh my God. Because they made me like a year and a half ago when I sold this book, they said, you have to get on, you have to get on Instagram. I'm like, I can't do Instagram. Like I, I, I cannot, my brain, I am 59 years old. I am not wired for Instagram. And it did take me a while to kind of figure Instagram out. But then once I got it, I love it. I love, love, love Instagram. It is the most Yay. amazing platform. It's creative and fun and alive. Anyway, so- I'm 59 years old. I am, um, I'm, I have a lot of degrees, which I embarrass. Like it's, it's like embarrassing. Um, as my kids say, you can plaster them on the wall. Like that's really useless. Um, so my history is I started in a kind of a different field. I had a master's in social work and I was doing like, I was running not-for-profits and I really loved it. I was doing that. And then by chance I got, you know, sort of suckered into coming to work with a urologist who was doing male sexual dysfunction stuff. And I came, he wanted me to set up some labs for him. I can't stand science or so I thought I'm really not a science girl. And um, so that was like 20, I was pregnant with number three child at the time. I was like 20 years ago. I know I'm like laughing. She's your age. So, okay. And so I went to work. I just said, I'll come for a year or two. Cause I was starting not for profits. I could start a for-profit. Like how complicated could that be kind of? Right. Um, so then he and I worked really well together and we were like, let's open a sperm bank. So we opened a sperm bank, which we could talk about that. The laboratories, infertility laboratories, sperm banks. And then, then this is, I think so fascinating by he was doing male and male sexual dysfunction, right? So like 20 years ago, if you were a guy and you couldn't keep an erection, they would have sent you to a therapist. That's what would happened. Maybe not 20 years ago at this point, 40 years ago, they would have sent you to a therapist and you would have talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. But if your penis wouldn't hold the blood, it didn't really matter. Right. So until they could figure out the science behind it, you could talk to your blue in the face and it wasn't really going to help you. Right. Right. So there were all of these doctors and researchers and pharmaceutical companies who were pouring so much money into studying this. And then Viagra came on the market and poof for an $85 visit, you could get this. You didn't need the pills and you didn't need the, not pills. You didn't need the injections and you didn't need the like the radiation things they were putting in and all these things you could just take a pill and so then all of a sudden this entire industry was kind of collapsed right all the doctors and researchers and pharmaceutical companies and they were like oh women maybe it's not on the women's head like maybe there's actually physiological pieces going on so that was 20 years ago when Viagra came on the market and I Look, this is the world according to Batsheva. I don't know if like, but I feel pretty strongly this is what happened because I was there. So we were like, oh my God, this is an opportunity. Like women are struggling and we have to stop telling them it's all in their head. Some of it is in your head, but some of it isn't in your head, right? right? So that's when the whole field, so all these researchers and pharmaceutical companies and doctors started saying, oh, let's, maybe we can understand this better. And I was kind of in the right place at the right time. I was always interested in this. And so that's what I went back and got some training and then my master's in public health and my PhD in human sexuality. And we opened the women's center 20 years ago and the rest is history. Oh my God. Am I talking too fast? No. Okay, you got it. <laughs> Love it. This way we can get all of the questions into the yes. best yes. possibility. <laughs> For sure. No, that that is so fascinating. It's it's so just, you know, we obviously read the book and we were you know, we talked on air about it a little bit for our, our episode this week and so much off air just because we're like, we cannot fit our thoughts into one episode. Like, I will we, come back as often as you want, guys. I oh will my God. Visitor. Oh my gosh. That would be unreal. <laughs> it's something just, that we're not even really going to touch today, which is something that I would love for you to come back on another time is like trauma and how that plays a role. But I felt that that really needed its own. Totally. Like that really needs its own episode. But 
are already planning future things and we haven't even really gotten into this one because I'm so excited. No, absolutely. And what specifically, so I know you mentioned the, your story and all of that. And is that what made you want to go into the field? Like everything that was going on the way you were interpreting it? So that's so such a complicated question. I've always been interested in sex. Like, let's be honest, you know, like I'd be, I was interested in sex. I got no sex education. I grew up in a religious Jewish Orthodox household. I got worse sex education than most of us did. And that's pretty damn bad. Right. So I was bad. Um, and I really resented the fact that I had no sex education. I really did. And I, for years was thinking like, I got to do something in this community. And I've always been like a rabble rouser in the community. I got, I was very active in the feminist movement in the Jewish Orthodox, which is not super popular as you can imagine. So I was always interested in, so when this opportunity came up 20 years or 22 years ago, I was like, I'm just going to jump in there with two feet. I already had the masters in social work. So I already kind of had that piece, that foundation piece. I just needed to like learn the sex piece from, uh, um, well, from a from a really like a more global perspective, because I feel like one of the problems is often people try to answer sex questions from their own experience. But that's like you have an N of one, right? Like if you're giving somebody advice, it's like what works for you, which is great and can be helpful. But it's really, really important that our professionals like have an idea of what's actually going out there in the whole world. So like I can give you a great example about that. You want an example? About yes. that? Orgasms on your stomach. Did I did, uh, orgasms on your stomach? So I. Cool. You're laughing. Why are you laughing, Julia? (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Women come into my office. This is like such a funny thing. They come in and they're like, they have a problem with orgasm, they tell me. And they're like hemming and hawing. And like they're, and at some point, I just want to put them out of their misery. Like I'm asking questions and I'm like, is what you're trying to tell me is that you have orgasms on your stomach? And they're like, Oh my God, Bacheva, you're like a mind reader. Like, how the hell did you know that I have this major, major problem that I can only orgasm on my stomach? And I'm like, because it's not that unusual. Like, just yeah. because the movies don't show it and the TV shows don't show it, I would say maybe a third of my patients have that. And it's when you think about it, it's a very natural way for women to learn to have orgasms, right? right? Like they're on their stomach as little kids and they're rubbing against the, I don't know, stuffed animal or a blanket or, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so that's a perfect example of a place where people feel like they're they're crazy, they're unusual. Mm-hmm. And if they talk to a friend who doesn't have orgasms on their stomach, then they're going to feel like they're the only ones who do. And that's totally. right. Yeah. yeah so that's- no, I remember you, you mentioned that in the book specifically about how people, um, you know, have this idea that, that things are, are weird and, and all of that stuff. But I remember when I read that in the book, I was like, huh, it's so funny because when people talk about sex, they don't get specific. When people talk about orgasms or any of those things, they don't get specific. So the fact that you, I don't know, it, it just, it, it, there's so many things in the book that shook both of us because we're like, if we hadn't read this, our minds wouldn't have gone there. We wouldn't have chosen to have the conversations with one another. Um, and it's so clear. And I mean this in like the least offensive way to people we love and care for, but it's so clear in the people that have either read the book, whether it's this one or a different one, or done the work to better understand or educate themselves on sex versus who hasn't, because there are these like blanket statements made as opposed to, you know, getting getting to the depths of it. Like, what do you mean? Can you give me an example? Yeah, of course. Like even when it comes to like people make the blanket statement of, of even like, oh, se- sex, the sex was amazing. And, and that's great. That's a great thing. But I think that because that's, that's it. Like that's, that's the, the surface that people get to. And I almost like, I don't know, Julie and I were talking the other day, I would rather have a conversation and, and listen, if it's great and you're intentional, that's amazing. But we know so many people in our lives specifically who are not intentional and who you kind of 
I hate to say this, but kind of know we're lying. Do you know what I mean? Totally, totally. Or, or like covering and up. I think, yeah. I think what what Brenna and I are sometimes so shaken by that is like because we have now gotten gained access to education about sex, which we didn't get growing up, and not exactly. most people in this country did not get growing up. Now that we've gained some access to education around sex we're like oh my god there's so much more than we could ever possibly think of and it's like it's crazy to us that there's still for most people this extremely extremely small view of what sex can be because they just haven't been given the tools and the resources to be educated on it and it's in our own sex lives we can see like how much actually greater it has become because we have more knowledge, because we're no longer afraid to ask certain questions, we feel more comfortable talking about it, having conversations with not just each other, but with professionals like you. And it's it's just the it's incredible. I mean, in anything, how education is so it changes everything. It changes so everything. Right. Like just the idea that when people say sex is great, what they are really trying to say is intercourse is great. Right. Like that, right. People use that. And, you know, Brenda, you gave that example. So, oh, the sex is amazing. Yeah. My interesting question would be like, okay, what was amazing about it? Like what, what was amazing? Like, tell me what was amazing. Was it the connection that was amazing? Did you have a mind blowing orgasm? Did you like, feel like you like, you know, the, all the stuff that, that, that made you feel good? Like, was it your, you know, your ears being, you know, stroked? Like, what was it that made the sex amazing? And I think that we still, it's what's mind blowing to me, uh, to be honest, and you guys are in your twenties. So it's like, I'm horrified by some of the myths that you guys still have. Like, I feel like women's magazine orgasms from intercourse, like that is, that should be so yesterday. Like, why is that's still a thing. I don't understand this. Discomfort using a vibrator with a partner. Like, why the hell is that still a thing? Well, somebody's a pain that you have to like go through the struggle through the pain and not get help. Or if somebody says your pain is in your head, that is like, where's like, yeah, I'd love you for you guys. Tell me why you think this stuff is all out there. Why are people not accessing it? This internet is open. It's free. I think it's still, and you mentioned it the, in the book about upbringing and education. I think it's still that we're there. We're even though we are so progressive, women are progressive. Talking about sex is less taboo than it's ever been before. There still, I think, is like this like deep rooted shame in our society, just as like deep rooted bias towards people of different backgrounds. Like there's still mm-hmm. these like deep rooted shame around sex, and I think because we as an at an early age when like we're first starting to like discover what this is we're either being told like don't do it or like you're a slut if you do it or you're you know like I remember like being in sex education in high school high school was the first time we got sex ed I think I took it sophomore or junior year and we the only things that we talked about were like how to put on a condom and then like they showed us like really graphic pictures of STDs and STIs and that was it. And I, something that I think about, which again, this is a topic probably for another show, but like how much less maybe sexual assault there would be if we had like really good sex education. Like, I think those two things could really go hand in hand. No. Yeah. I think sex education that we have in our country is how not to get pregnant, how not to get STDs. the, The sex education is actually that and how not to get pregnant, right. Pregnant STDs. There's nothing ever about pleasure, about, you know. Consent? You know, what, what about consent? Why aren't we ever taught about consent? Right. 
No, you're right. Definitely. I think you bring up a good point, which is actually what I meant to talk about when you um, shared that thing about uh, laying on your stomach and stuff that you had said in the book, which I think brings about media in general, right? That like all of these heroines are portrayed as solely laying on their backs and only this one-sided thing and all these things that make you think that, oh, if I have sex, then this is the type of orgasm I'll feel. This is how it'll happen. This is the position I have to be in. And you think so one-sided. So I think that- um, And you have it from intercourse, right? Or it always, although, do you guys- watch Bridgerton? Yes. yes. Okay. So can I tell you, so there's this, first of all, I, I have to say, I love that show. First of all, the Duke, you can just watch the Duke. I oh candy. Like, let's, okay, let's just be honest. But okay. <laughs> Having said that there were two scenes in there that were just like, literally made me jump off the sofa with like, oh my God. Yes. And my husband's always making fun of me. He's like, I cannot watch anything with you. Not that he was watching that, <laughs> but I can't watch things with you because it's like watching an umpire watching a football game, a baseball <laughs> game. But, um, so he tells her how to masturbate, right? The Duke tells, t- yes. tells her, yeah. So that's number one. I was like, go you number two the first time they have intercourse they're getting married they're having sex after they get married the first time he takes her hand and he moves her hand down to her clitoris i mean you don't see that actually and i literally jumped off the sofa i was like yes I, i feel like i spent my life across the table for women saying, yes, you should use your hand. You can use your vibrator. You can, you know, there's a lot of ways to have orgasms during intercourse, but like, it's not going to happen from a penis in more than 30% of the cases, only three out of 10 women. Okay. Anybody listening to this? You're listening. Three, three freaking three out of 10 are having an in- orgasm. And of course, they're not better than you. They're not different than you. They're not the Holy grail. They just happen to have a clitoris that's close to where the shaft where the penis is in. That is why they are having orgasm intercourse, but it's only three out of 10 women. There is nothing wrong with you. You're at the same as seven. Okay. Everybody hear that. I want to hear that Repeat <laughs> after me anyway, but like, on all movies and all TV shows, they have that penis goes into that vagina. They don't even have to guide it in. It's like right. it's a homing pigeon, right? <laughs> and then it goes in and then they have this mind-blowing orgasm. Well, fuck that. That's not happening, you know? So in Bridgerton, he took her hand and he put it down there. I felt like in two minutes, he did more for women's yeah. orgasm than I could do with 10 books and 20 appointments. It is so true. And I think there is a whole chapter in the book about vibrators, which I loved. But I think I wonder how much of that is like women feeling like, you know, that in a heterosexual relationship that like that men are going to be offended by that or that men won't understand that or they'll think or certain men might think that's too kinky or like, you know, I think that there's still there's not just a lot of bias and shame on the women's end around it, but there is a lack of like communication and transparency about what the men are feeling about it in a heterosexual relationships. Yeah, I get pushed back about that. all. Wait, Brenda, were you about to say something? No, no, you go right ahead. I'll jump off. Yeah, no, I get, I get um, pushback about that a lot in terms of like women being nervous to bring Mm -hmm. it into their partnered sex. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like you guys, the 20 year olds got to change that because, because a few things, the more you own it, the less your partners have an issue with it, right? The lesbian women are do great. The women who are having sex with women usually have no issue with this whatsoever. So women who are having sex with men who, you know, for people who identify as men, let's start that, who sometimes have an issue with it. But I feel like often it's the women who have the problem. Like they're afraid of what their partners are going to say. They're afraid. But if once they own it and they have a conversation about it, very, very often the men are really okay with it. They're really, look, the truth is it is such a hot turn on for your partner to see you getting really turned on and having an orgasm. And it's so much easier for them. You know, their mouth and their hands get tired. Like let's, let's be honest. Like it's a lot of work to give somebody an orgasm sometimes, not always, but sometimes. So it is very, very, it is really, it's just a mind shift. It 
it is just a mind shift that it is perfectly and and the analogy I'll often give because women say oh well it's not natural but I'm like you know what your eyeglasses they're not natural either and yet you're not walking into walls right you're not like you know or electric lights we don't insist on having candles out all the time you know it's fine to use candles sometimes but you want to be able to see so electric lights are you know something we use because they work better and more efficiently and vibrators you have to if you're somebody who orgasms with a vibrator then it's insane for you not to have set you know not to have orgasms when you're having sex with a partner because you're embarrassed to bring the work the vibrator in so i have a whole the whole chapters on vibrators but i also have a section there about how to talk to your partners about them because i feel like it is an issue absolutely yeah 100 and i think especially a piece of it is you know this idea of being afraid to make your partner feel like they're not good enough and what they're doing isn't good enough. I know for a while for myself, when I was like, I'm kind of interested in this. I kind of wonder how this would, how this would be, what this would add. Like a piece of me didn't want um, my partner to think that I didn't think he was good enough, but a piece of me also, when it came to conversations, I'm being super vulnerable right now with my girlfriends. I didn't want my girlfriends to think that I like wasn't attracted to my partner or that like our sex wasn't good, you know? And, and, and I think that having these types of conversations and hearing from an expert like you too, you know, it's not about offending someone. It's not about all that stuff or even the guilt that comes along with the time, depending on the person, right? That it takes for someone else to focus on you. Like all those things are okay. <laughs> no, it's so true. And we, somewhere along the way, we came up with this idea that a orgasm you have from intercourse, that's like the gold standard of orgasm. And the orgasm you have from um, a hand or mouth, okay, that's the that's the, um, the silver standard. And the orgasm you have from a vibrator, well, that's your bronze runner up or whatever, copper runner up, whatever it is. And that's true. Crap. That is so crap. crap. And that goes back, Brenda, and I appreciate how vulnerable you're being because I feel like that goes back to the fact that we all somehow feel like if, if our sex life doesn't reflect what we're seeing in the movies and the TV, then there's something wrong with us. As opposed to the fact that the movies and the TVs are not showing something that's in any way realistic. It's almost like the bodies thing also. Like, you know, like we have these totally distorted views of what our bodies should look like because of those things. And so, um, but the more we can do that. So it's almost like an act of... It's almost like an act of real courage to be able yeah. to say to your girlfriends, listen, you know, I have orgasms from a vibrator. I have great orgasms from a vibrator. I can sometimes do it with my hand, but it takes a really long time. Um, I love the orgasm I have with my vibrator. I love the Duke that I'm sleeping with. He's so yeah. hot and, <laughs> and he's amazing. And he, I love the way he kisses and I love the way he smells and we have great sex, but it's easier for me to have an orgasm with the vibrator. So he uses it on me or I use it on me before or after we have intercourse and it's amazing and not feel and know that that is building a sex life that's like real and sustainable as opposed to somebody else's idea of, well, I shouldn't do it. And so I'm going to, I'm just going to have sex, but never have orgasms with a partner and then stop wanting to have, or, you know, sex with a partner. Cause you know, it's a little frustrating, even though I love him, like, that's not, that's not smart. Yeah, I love that you put it in that analogy of like the gold standard, the silver standard, the bronze standard, because it is so true. And it's something that I personally believe totally needs to be shaken up because it's like, okay, sure. Maybe you can have a great orgasm from just penetration, but maybe you can also have a great orgasm or an even better orgasm when you're bringing in a vibrator or lube or whatever it is that we're so kind of still a little bit ashamed to say that we want in the bedroom. And I think that's the other thing too, of like switching it, like maybe some people need it and there's nothing wrong with that but also like you don't have to need it you could also just want it 
Totally, totally. And and it goes back and forth. And you know what else? Different times of your life, it will be different. Right. You know I mean, like right now, this might work for you, but you may be more easily orgasmic or you might have a partner with a different curve in the penis. And so that it hits at a different nerve endings for you. Things just change all the time. And the more you're kind of open to what works for you and not feel like there's some weird script you need to be following, the better, the better it's going to be. And I, this thing about the orgasms, ranking the orgasms is my, is crazy making to me. It's just crazy making to me because the statistic I just said, three out of 10 women can have an orgasm from intercourse, but seven, 70 to 80%. So between seven and eight can have one from a hand or a mouth. Mm. I'm assuming a partner's mouth because using your own mouth would be really hard. Would be sort of talent. (laughs) Exactly. But 94% of women can have them with a vibrator. So that leaves a big chunk of women who that's the way they orgasm. And that's amazing. Like, why is that bad? Do you know what I mean? Like, why should they even feel the slightest, slightest bit, you know, less than? Because they're having more, like, it's crazy. Yeah. And I, what you said about a script, um, I feel like in the media, there's so much that's portrayed as this like solely one-sided animalistic script. And then if you're having moments, which in my opinion, now that I think about it are, are like beautiful and make the connection nice. Like there are so many moments where I think about with my partner, we're like, where we, where we laugh or we're like, oh, or where do I go? You know, they don't have this when you're switching in between positions, nobody's, you know, nobody's filming in a, in a show. Like, wait, what do you want me to do? Where do I go? (laughs) (laughs) You know, those like little moments that ultimately are funny or silly or like a different, a different layer. So, um, having this soul, like animalistic vibe, um, I think just really shifts and makes you think like, oh, does that mean like what I'm doing? isn't isn't good enough or anything like that and coming back to also the like vibrators thing people feel so much shame about adding things I feel like and I've felt that in my lifetime too but in my lifetime recently as well but when you think about it I'm like I think it is like arousing if you will that someone's willing to do anything to make you feel good you know Um, totally 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 and honestly it's it's I'm gonna go back to this it makes their life my experience is that it makes their life easier and better and you know I had I had this one one woman patient who I talked about, I think I talked about her in the book because it was really like, she'd been married for like 30 some odd years. She mm-hmm. was like 50 something. And um, she was in a very kind of old fashioned relationship and she'd been pretending to have orgasms for her whole life, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and she, she'd never had one. And we, she came in and we worked with her. We gave her a vibrator and she started having them on her own. Mm-hmm. But she said, I can't tell him that I've been lying to him for 30 years. And I, like, she and I negotiated all kinds of ways. I'm like, in the end, you're if you want to use that vibrator, like that's gonna, anyhow, she ultimately did, she was like, no way, no way. This often happens to me with patients. No way. I'm not doing it. I can't do it. I'm like, okay, that's fine. We're just going to talk about it a little bit more, you know, normalize it a little more. Eventually she came in and she said, I told him. And I said to him, I really haven't been having orgasms for, you know, the last 30 years or whatever. And he didn't talk to her for three days. I'm just, you know, and then he came in, she said after three days, he sort of came in kind of gruffly one day and said, okay, let me see it. And she didn't even know what he was talking about at that point. It was three days later. And so he said the vibrator and she pulled it out and she used it. And she said they were having the best time. It took about 20 minutes for him to get past it. Like he needed to like get past it. This, you know, 56 year old mailman or whatever he was kind of needed, no offense to any mailman who was listening to this, <laughs> needed to get past this. Like it was difficult, like, you know, but once he did, they, she said that they were having a blast. Like he was so, he was so excited to have her be excited. And now she wanted to have sex again. And, you know, so I do think this is like us being able to kind of embrace ourselves and, you know, and, and be honest. And then for the most part, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of partners who like get with the program and are really kind of like it. Wow. Definitely. What a story. 
I don't right, crazy, know. right? Yeah, but you know, I guess in not maybe not in her specific defense, I don't know, but I will I will be I don't I don't know why I'm being so extra vulnerable. This is woof. But um there was a point where I genuinely thought like because you don't know until you know, right? Like you there's this whole concept of like orgasms in general. Oh, stuff for like sure. That, yeah. that you, you don't, don't actually know until you know you have one. Until you have one. Exactly. It's- so for so long, I'm not I'm not gonna lie, I would be in my head be like, was that it? Like what <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. um I know like from, it made me think about it because for my partner, I'm like, I don't think I was intentionally lying or pretending or maybe sometimes was like manifesting that it would happen. But I think a piece of me just also at points wasn't sure until I knew, you know what I mean? (laughs) No, first of all, good for you for being able to be that honest because I think that's true for a lot of women. But I will say for women listening, if you've had an orgasm, you know you've had an orgasm. So if you're not ha- if you're not sure, it's probably that you're feeling really good and that's great. There's that's nothing great. wrong with that. It just may not be an orgasm yet because an orgasm is like a sneeze. It's almost something that happens. It's like, you know, right? It's like, but look, when I'm taking intakes on women, I'll never say, do you lie about having an orgasm? I will right. say something like, does he think you're having orgasms? Does your partner mm-hmm. think you're having orgasms? Because for some women, they're like, they're not going to say they did, but they're going to sort of act like they're having a really good time so that they're not faking it. And if their partner sort of thinks that they're having an orgasm, they'll let it go. And that's fine unless you want to make change and you need to have change. And then in order to make change, you have to be honest with your partner. And here's the thing. I mean, you tell me if you had a partner and he was pretending to have pleasure or he was pretending to ejaculate when he didn't, I'm going to be obviously a little harder with a guy, but you know, you would feel like I want you to tell me. I want right. you to yeah, we want to know. Right. Exactly. I want it because I want to make it better with you. I want to make it, you don't owe me anything here. I just want to be able to make it better. Yeah, absolutely. it's switching gears a little bit, but it kind of brings me to the next thing I want to talk about with this like chicken and the egg thing of like, does good sex make a good relationship or does a good emotional intimate relationship make good sex? You say both. I want to dive into that. Yeah. What's your theory here? Can I just tell you that I love you for asking that question. I I think I've done probably 40 podcasts since this book come out and nobody has asked me that question. And it's one of my favorite, favorite pieces of that book. So bless you. Bless you for asking the question. Okay. I'm excited to talk about it. We live in a society where we all believe somehow, like we privilege the verbal conversation and the communication, the verbal communication over the physical, right? Like you will always, if you go into a 90% of the time, if you go into a couple's counselor's office and you say, we're not having sex, they will say something like, well, let's get the relationship better, the communication better, and then you'll have good sex. And I'm like, that's bullshit. Like that is, it may work if you're pissed off at your partner and you don't want to have sex with your partner because you don't like him or her, then yes, that will help a lot. But in most cases, there's a problem in the sex life that's irrelevant to the relationship. So mm-hmm. that, you know, so what I think people need to start realizing is that you can often heal the sexual part by talking about things and trying to make things better, but you can also heal the relationship by having better sex. Like if you're not touching each other and you're avoiding each other and you're like, you know, not connecting in that deep, deep visceral way that sex allows you to do, then it's going to start creating a rupture in the relationship. And look, sex is, I do, I feel like sex is so important. However it manifests in a relationship, it's just important. It's the only time when we're really naked with somebody else. And I mean that emotionally as well as, you know, it's a vulnerability where you're with this person in a way you're not with anybody else, anybody else. And there's something about being able to be really raw and 
vulnerable and present and naked with another person in a way that you're not with anybody else. That is just very cementing to a relationship. And, you know, Brenda, you talked about the laughing, like that's so like, yeah. so you try something position and it's a total dud and you both end up sitting on the floor laughing, you know, you're in the bathtub and there's not enough room and you splash water <laughs> all over the place. And like, and you're laughing, but this is the two of you together doing something that you're not doing. That, and it's, it just changes the tenor of the relationship. Mm -hmm. So I really, I, I get really annoyed when everybody's like, well, we'll fix the relationship and then the sex will follow. I'm like, the sex is part of the relationship. Let's like work on the sex. And I will tell you how much better the relationship can be just because of that. It's a way of opening communication. Mm -hmm. So that's how I feel about that. And I, I'm so glad you asked me about it. Cause I really, I do. Don't you think that we as a society always look at it the other direction? A hundred percent. And, and what you said is the truest thing of like, there is a level of emotional intimacy and emotional vulnerability and nakedness that I think I've only experienced during in like sexual intimate times because it's just like a different just like you would have a one a certain emotional experience when you're out to dinner on a date or on a vacation or having a deep conversation like there's all these different factors that help contribute to a more a more emotional intimacy and it's just like another place to have this like other type of emotional connection even though you're also having a physical connection Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's, it's so cool to hear, to hear just due to the lack of sexual education that we get. I, I really think that like the approach towards sex, the thoughts about it, what you think you're supposed to feel like it's so passive. It's so incredibly passive. And I think that if anything, mm -hmm. this book taught us so much, <laughs> but I think a lot of what we took away was just how important the intentionality behind it is and how much we're capable of doing beyond what we know. Like we solely think about, all right, like this is just what you do. <laughs> um, but we don't really, we're not taught to think beyond that. And because it's so taboo in a lot of ways still, it's not conversations that people have due to the shame they feel about it, due to them maybe not really knowing what the heck is going on or what to do or if they you know are watching certain things that feel solely animalistic like then maybe they don't you know they don't know what to watch or, or how to know what the heck to do so yeah with all that being said yeah it, it was just so interesting yeah go ahead no I I it's so funny because you know I just was scribbling myself a note because I didn't want to forget to say this like classic sex therapists you know invariably people say well how much sex are you supposed to have right mm -hmm. and you know what's the right amount of sex like couples often ask and you know, your classic sex therapist the answer that you're supposed to give is whatever works for you, right? Like if you're both happy with having sex once every six months, then that's fine. If you're both happy having sex every day, that's fine. And there's some truth to that. I'm going to say like, I'm not, you know, I'm not knocking that entirely, but I will say that as somebody who sees couples in every walk of life, my experience is if you stop having regular sex, and usually I would say once every week or once every other week, you start to see cracks in the relationship. That's where the relationship starts to start feeling like a business partnership or roommates, right? Because of all the things we're talking about, right? And and that is where, um, you know, and, and I feel like it's a very unpopular opinion. This is like any sex therapist hearing me will throw rotten tomatoes at me, but I really do. Okay, good. So but I really do feel like the sex is, it just is critically important as yeah. a, that's like saying, you know what? Here's a perfect, I never said this before, but I think I'm going to use this in the future. If I said to you, you know, you're going to have this relationship with it, but just don't talk to each other. You're just going to stop talking to each other. Like, that's okay. If you don't want to talk, then you should only talk if you want to talk and you won't talk. So you, you'll have sex, you'll make meals together, but just don't talk for the, you know, the next six months to a year and that'll be fine. And that's, we see how absurd Ridiculous. that is. Right. So 
I'm sh- this is kind of the same thing. A really great yeah. example. It, yeah. it brings me to, oh, sorry. Did you have something on that, Bren? Uh, you, you know what? Yeah. I, I was just going to say that it's, it's so, it is so powerful to think about it in that sense, because I do, I think we put expectations, right? They're huge. So to have this expectation of, oh, whatever the heck you not, you want, or, and, and that's a beautiful thing to have the choice, to have the freedom to choose. But I think just having like knowledge, knowledge is power and having that layer of knowledge or, of knowing, you know what, if we wait longer than a week or a week and a half, then it's likely we might just feel a little bit less like physically connected. Like I genuinely feel as though after intimate moments, there's this like, I don't know, this like fire, like there's an extra fire. And why not having that little knowledge in the back of your head of, you know, I want to keep that, that little fire going. I want to feel that. Um, yes, totally. Being intentional about and that to keep that going. It. And hold that because like I have women in my office will say something like this is people have told me the same story and slight variations. It's just funny when things, they'll say something like, oh, if my partner comes home and he left his socks on the floor and we've had great sex recently, I'll, but I'll be fine. I'll just pick them up and I'll dump them in the hamper. But if we haven't had sex in a while and I see those socks, I want to take those socks. I want to stuff them in his mouth. (laughs) You know, I think that's the thing. Like there's something connecting about sex that makes the relationship. It's like the dessert in the relationship. So, you know, Anyway. Yeah, no, and it, I like what you said, Renella. It's about being intentional. Like just as you're intentional about every other aspect of your relationship, it's it is a part of the relationship that we need to be intentional about. And and can I just throw in it's yeah, not just a relationship for single people also. Like man, you know, sex for one is a t- solo sex is yes. it's super important and you need to be intentional about that also. Your body needs that. The, your body needs to, you need your body needs to be loved by you and it needs mm-hmm. to be touched also and it needs to have blood flowing in those areas. So the same way that people in a relationship can be intentional, people who aren't currently in a relationship can be intentional. I just want to throw that. I need to throw that Absolutely. in. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad too. Yeah, we have listeners in all different, you know, that fall into all different aspects. So I think it's going to be super helpful. Absolutely. And- yeah. Um, I, I, just because it's relating and it was a big point that stood out to me in the book about how sex can be more than just intercourse. Oh my God. Yes. And I think that that's something that we, that until I kind of read that like part in the book, I didn't really like, vo- like vocabulize to myself that that is the truth. But I think that that is so important. And I want you to talk about how, how we can have sex with ourselves, with a partner that is not just penetration or intercourse and going off of like the what we were talking about before about sexual intimacy begetting emotional intimacy that it doesn't have to be just intercourse for that sex there can be so many other things like I think you talked about something with a feather or something like there was like you know so you could dive into that but I think yeah no with this idea that sex and intercourse are synonymous that they're the same thing it's so absurd I I just it it it, and it's it's a little bit enraging and I feel like um, but I think a lot of people have never thought about it in in any other way no I I think you're totally right. I think if you if you stopped 100 people on the street and you said to those 100 people, can you give me the definition of sex? Most of them would say some variation of, assuming it's heterosexual sex, man's puts penis and vagina, man ejaculates. Some version of that. That would be sex. And I'd be like, well, why aren't you saying man goes down on women until woman has orgasm? Like, why were you not like, so- we need to just bust that myth that sex and is intercourse. It's so limiting. It is so limiting. Sex is oral sex. Sex is, you know, with using your mouth. Sex is, you know, manual sex, using your hands, you know. Sex is, you know, exactly what I said, using 50 other parts of the body and a feather and leather or whatever you want, or water, you know, streaming water or a vibrator. Um, sex is, and you need a broad definition because you know what? First of all, intercourse every time is going to get boring. It's just, if, especially if you stay with the same part 
partner, it's going to get boring. You damn well better widen your repertoire. That's number one. Number two, I hate to break the news to you guys, but there's going to be times in your life when you're not going to want to have intercourse. You're pregnant. You just had a baby. You know, your, your, your partner's back goes out. They got a knee injury when they were running. You know, like there's a million reasons why you may not want to have intercourse. And so the more you can have, or you have pain, you have pain, like I have so many patients who come in and this could, this could be a whole other episode. We should talk about vaginismus and, and vaginal pain, yeah. because that is, I thought for sure that's where you guys were going to want to start. Cause that's like a twenties thing, you know? Um, but vaginal pain. And I have women who come in who you could have a perfectly fabulous sex life without having intercourse. You, there's a million other ways to have sex. We, we could talk, you know, we could sit here and make a, a list together. Oh my what God. happens is people get so hung up on this. Well, I can't have intercourse. I can't have intercourse. I can't have intercourse. And then they just start pulling away. Like I can't have sex. I can't have sex. I can't have sex. I'm like, no, no, no. You can't have intercourse. You can't have intercourse. You can't have it. That is not at all the same thing as you can't have sex. So can we just reframe that? So yeah, I mean, I think you need to start thinking broader. And and when people like get their back up, they're like, no, sex is intercourse. I'll be like, that is so limiting. Like, why do you have to be so, it's just, you're going to ruin your sex life because that's just not going to last you. The yeah. same outcomes that you can get from intercourse than you can get from, like you, you, you can get the same outcome. You can get an orgasm. You can get emotional connection. You can get, you know, like all, like all of the things that you would, the outcome of sex is with that you can do with masturbation or whatever correcting or whatever it is yes yeah and that if you, is the same thing and sometimes to be honest people don't want to do other things because it makes you even more vulnerable right mm-hmm. like if you're masturbating with somebody else and they're letting you're letting them watch you masturbate so that's let's say you decide you're going to do mutual masturbation the two of you are going to masturbate right that could be like so vulnerable right because yes. when you're having intercourse the person's like on top of you or behind you or whatever it is and you're kind of in this together as opposed to like allowing the person to see you fully. And I mean, again, see you emotionally as well as Mm -hmm. physically. And, and that is an incredibly powerful experience to allow somebody to watch you in those like throes of pleasure and passion. And that's also, that's incredibly intense or, you know, again, going down on somebody and being able to watch them have that kind of pleasure when you're, when you're doing that or, or washing somebody's body or, or giving a person a massage and making it, turning it into an erotic massage. Those are like such intimate, intimate ways of being. And sometimes they're more intimate than intercourse. So yeah, I think we have to sort of, we really got to get out of this intercourse is, is sex. It's just ridiculous. And, and what's funny is when I'm seeing clients, like they'll say, well, we don't have sex. And I'll be like, oh, and I, you know, I'll be like, oh, so you haven't had intercourse and I will just keep going. And then the, you know, at different appointments, they'll be like, so the sex was, I said, did you have intercourse? And then like, at some point they start to laugh. They're like, um, so last Wednesday we, we were having intercourse, <laughs> like, or we were at, like, they get it. They finally get it. You know, right. we're like, we had sex and they look at me and they'll be like, no, we didn't have intercourse. We were having sex. And I'm like, yay. (laughs) Yeah. It's again, it comes back to like, I think just like broadening our minds when it comes to this stuff, both by getting educated about it and also communicating about it, whether it's with our friends, with our partners, and even with ourselves. I think before, before I started really like learning about from sex therapists, from, you know, podcasts, whatever it is about these things like I don't even think I asked myself those questions I wouldn't even have thought to ask myself those questions right and wouldn't it be great if we knew this stuff when we were like 
yes. 16 and 15 and 18 and 20. I think it's so funny because I talk about hookups with people sometimes that I don't have a problem with people hooking up, but I just think the sex is often sucky. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean, I don't, I don't have a, like, I don't have a, you know, a values problem with it. I just feel like it's just crappy sex often. And it wouldn't be such crappy sex if people could actually communicate with each other. Right. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. And the communication piece becomes so tricky if like you aren't given the tools, you know, to learn about how you're supposed to find out what it is that you enjoy or don't enjoy or stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's complicated and it, and it could be way less complicated if uh, people are given some tools. <laughs> no tools. And also if, if you're with somebody that you trust, that you trust yeah. enough to be able to allow yourself to be that vulnerable with. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you said before about things that are outside of what we, of what most of us just think of as sex intercourse can be so much more vulnerable because we're also not talking about it. Like we've never talked about that with our friends or we've never talked about with that, that with our partner. So it feels scarier than just like the, okay, here's the thing that we see on TV or like in totally. porn or wherever you see it, or the one thing that you've learned about in school, like yeah. it's, it's, it's so much scarier because we don't know a lot of people don't know about it yeah and the the beautiful thing I think is that the more that we you know lean into the scary quote-unquote conversations and the vulnerable conversations not only with people in our lives um and then thinking about it ourselves and then in turn with like partners the more it becomes second nature the more it becomes like comfortable to talk about and comfortable to ask for what you want and what you think you need or what you want to try um or maybe what you're struggling with in a season you know oh my god i want to talk about so many more things but we'll get to our like last couple questions before we have to wrap it up but I do I I'm glad that you brought up the vaginismus and the pain during sex because we know that that's real and something that people experience and there's so much on that in the so I encourage everybody to to turn there if that's something that you're experiencing because it's nothing to be ashamed about and it is something that a lot of women experience and we should do a whole nother episode on we should because can I tell you that's one of those things where the statistic is one out of ten women have vaginismus, mm-hmm. some crazy number. And yet, and yet, and yet they, they don't, well, people are talking about it, but people aren't hearing them. Like, that's how it feels like. I, I feel a little bit like I, I see a patient who comes in who's had this problem for 10 years and she's like, I didn't know it existed. I didn't know what the problem was. I couldn't talk about it. And, and I'm like, but it's all around. I, to me, it could be because where I'm sitting, like everybody, but it feels to me like there's so much, like I'm on Instagram, there's other people on Instagram talking about it. It just feels like there are people People talking about it and yet people just either they shut down they're in denial they don't want to think about it it's too painful to think about it and um it's so curable it's so curable that it just breaks my heart so we should definitely definitely do another episode on that because i think or ask your ask your followers if that's what they want but i think pain yeah. is a huge issue yeah i would i would love to dive into that i know people in my own life who have who who do have pain with sex and either have been brushed off or don't know who to turn to even to start and it's a real yeah we're gonna do a whole nother episode on that because I feel like we could talk about it for an hour but my the last topic that I do want to talk about because this was the one that blew me and Brenda's mind um before we get to our wrap of questions is there's this whole chapter on neuroplasticity and how we can practice using our erotic brain and I am just so curious about this how does fantasizing help us in our sex lives yeah and how can we practice you how can we practice using this erotic 
robotic brain that we have. Um, so yeah, there's a whole chapter on it because so, what ha- it is really interesting, right? We used to think of the brain as something that was sort of static, right? That you had a certain number of brain cells, they start to die off, you can use them, not use them, whatever. What we've learned in the last like 10 or 15 or 20 years is that your brain is actually plastic, like it, it grows, it can still grow. So what happens is if let's say you're learning a new language, right? It makes you better at the language, but you get better at languages in general, right? Because you're, you're, you, you sort of start developing more neurotransmitters in there. There's more blood flowing. The synapses start connecting better. You just, that part of your brain is just, it's like adding water to the garden. Like it starts growing in a real way. And actually the term that's used when you don't use the brain is pruning. Like those, it starts sort of shutting down the, 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 the neurotransmitters you don't need anymore. So what I have found has been is so scary a little bit is that women in particular sort of stop using their erotic brain. Mm. Like they hit their twenties or the mid twenties and they just, for a whole variety of reasons, they feel guilty about their fantasies. They don't really think they should be fantasizing. They're not PC the fantasies. They don't fit into their idea of what they are. So they kind of shut down their fantasy life or they feel like they shouldn't be fantasizing about people that aren't their partner. That's a big one, right? And once you start shutting down your fantasies, that part of your brain just goes, okay, you don't want me anymore. Goodbye. Like you don't need me. Goodbye. You can re, you can kind of reactivate that part of your brain and it takes work. And, but women are like, what? Like I need to learn how to fantasize. Aren't fantasy something that just sort of arrive at my doorsteps? Like, don't I just wake up? No, 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 no. Like you need, just think about like a language. Like you need to actually actively use the erotic part of your brain if you want your brain to be erotic. And you want that brain because that's, your brain is 50% of your your sex organs. Like you want it to be able to turn on and turn off when you want it to turn on and off. And if you have just shut it down, especially, and here I'll say it like, especially when you decide if you're going to settle down with one partner and you want to be monogamous, you damn well better get your brain hooked in there because having sex with the same person is amazing and you love this person, but your brain, your erotic brain wants to, novelty is good for your sexual brain. So you're going to want to be thinking about things. And we can talk more about why people feel so guilty about that because it's, it's, it's a little mind boggling to me how crazy women are about shutting down their fantasies. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Yeah. Why is that? Well, for sure, women feel really guilty about fantasizing about somebody besides their partner, which right. is crazy. It's just crazy. Like you think, let's, let's just say, you think you're going to meet somebody at 25 or 28 and you're going to settle down and you're only going to be thinking about that one person for the next 50 years of your life. You, right. you, that's nuts. Like who thinks, no, you want to think about whoever you want. Think about the fireman down the street. Think about the Duke and Bridgerton. Think about whoever you want and bring it home to your partner. You know what I mean? Like that is what, mm. that's number one. Number two, women are, they get really nervous. Oh, I'm fantasizing about women, but I'm not really a lesbian. Like who, the whole idea of a fantasy is that it is a fantasy. It's not real. Like that is, we have to, it's not PC. Like, you know, the the most classic one and the one that is the most sort of, I just want to, like, I feel so frustrated about this is the over getting overpowered fantasies by women. Women, yeah that has been a trope for women for decades. They love the idea of the alpha male kind of coming in and just ravaging them. I think it has to do with the idea that they're so desirable. They're just so desirable that the man cannot help himself. Do any of us want that to happen in real life? No, we don't. But women feel guilty that they're fantasizing about this and they just shut it down. Like they shouldn't be fantasizing. And I'm like, can we do a reality check here? When you're fantasizing about somebody, you know, climbing through your window to like take you, you know, you're making up that person or people or group of people. They all look exactly the way you told them to look. They're saying exactly what you're telling them to say. They're acting, they're moving their muscles where you're telling them to move. They're climbing through the window you've created. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're, and you know what? They stop the minute you say, stop, you know? Uh, to it because it's your fantasy. 
fantasy. Exactly. exactly. You know, so, so where did we get this idea that that is in any way, shape or form have anything to do with real life that we wouldn't want something to happen. And I, it's just sad. It's just sad to me because yeah. fantasy is such a fun, fun thing that kids are really good at. Mm-hmm. And then we lose as we get older. And when your sex life, it's really a big loss. And so I think women have to sort of come to terms with the fact that fantasizing is just, yes, it, yes, you're turned on maybe by the idea of being on Broadway stage and being naked, but that doesn't mean you really want to be on the Broadway stage naked. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it just means that that idea turns you on. And if you could embrace it and kind of go where that takes you, your sex life is going to thank you for that. So that is where I go with this. Absolutely. And I'm thinking about a woman. We have women that have these thought patterns in our lives. And I'm thinking about someone who listened to what you just said and says, but how, like, how can I not feel guilty for thinking of someone else? That's not my partner. Does that say something about how I feel about that person in my relationship? That spiral, that spiral, or on the second point that you made, um, not that there is anything at all wrong with liking women or, or being a lesbian or anything like that, but for someone who believes that they aren't, um, and does feel that those thoughts do reflect that they might be like, how, what would you say to someone who's going down that thought spiral? I'd say we need to acknowledge that fantasies are fantasies. That's what makes them a fantasy. Mm -hmm. And that your erotic brain loves, loves variation. Mm -hmm. Your erotic mind does not like the same thing again and again and again, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't in any way mean that you want that thing to happen in real life. Or maybe there's a little piece of you that does want it, but that's just a part of you. That doesn't mean that, you know, that all of you wants it. So I often say to women, you have to think of fantasies in categories, right? There's the fantasies that you actually would like to act out, right? Like this, I want to have sex on the beach. I want to have sex in the water one time. I want to be in the ocean when there's people around or something, but not too close. And I want to take off my bathing suit. I want to have sex. So that's something like, that's a fantasy that you may want to act out sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's totally different than a fantasy where like, I want to have sex on a, rocket ship to Mars. You know what I mean? Like that is just a different kind of fantasy. You're not expecting on a steamboat going to, you know, wherever I'm going, right? Like that is, that's a different kind of fantasy. Right. And then there are fantasies that you want to share with your partner because it would be fun. You can make them up. You could talk about them. And then there are fantasies that are just yours and you own them by yourself and you don't owe them to anybody. And that's, it's like a little private thing that we get to have of our fantasies. And it's not necessarily a reflection of something you want to have. And, you know, if you're having fantasies about like actors or whatever, it doesn't mean you, you wouldn't even like, you wouldn't even know if you like that person in real life. You know what I mean? Right. It's just the fantasy of the actor that you think is amazing. Yeah. Keanu Reeves. Like you don't know how you'd like Keanu Reeves in real life, but the fantasy of having sex with Keanu Reeves could be fun. (laughs) It's such a great point. And I think that, I mean, yeah, that's something that I am totally taking away that like the fantasy is a fantasy and that's why it is its thing. Like that's the reason it has its own separate category. And yeah, I just think that there is a lot of, again, misconception about what these things mean or what they say about us or our relationship or our emotional intimacy. And it's, it's, there's, it's just, again, like that sex is so much bigger than just traditional intercourse, which nothing wrong with that, but it's just bigger than that. And yes. we, can, we can all step into that a little bit and you will definitely step into that with sex points. And I wish we could keep you forever because there's so many more topics we want to talk about, but you have to come back so that we can do a whole 
episode on pain during sex and vaginismus and all of that that many women in their 20s might be experiencing and a whole array of other topics. But before we let you go, if you could tell your 20s year old self one thing about sex, what would you tell her? If I could tell my 20 year old self something about sex, I think I would say you got this. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It takes a while. I say I'm going to start to cry as I talk about this, but I feel like we all, like, I feel like we all, there's part of all of us that feels a little bit broken when it comes to sex, like abnormal, broken, not okay. And it's really, it's going to be okay. You can figure this out. It's it's not magic. It's not, you know, it's not some crazy, like magical elixir and pixie dust. It's just a little bit of know-how and a little bit of trial and error. And then you got it. Incredible. I know that's going to touch so many people who 100% need to hear it. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. And our last question so that we're able to celebrate everything that you've done and so people can connect with you is where can people find you, your work and the book? So um, Dr. Bacheva, D-R-B-A-T-S-H-E-V-A. I'm on Instagram, Instagram there. I'm on Facebook there. I'm on, um, and my website is Dr. Bacheva. So super easy. And um, I would, you know, I love DMs from people. People ask me questions and I try really hard to answer people's DMs and my stories. So, um, and I love feedback on the book and I'm just really excited to get this book out to your audience. I can't wait for everybody to read it. Thank you so, so much for talking with us. This has been eye-opening and educational and amazing. Thank you for having me. I'm going to blow you guys a kiss. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Roaring 20s Podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Roaring 20s Podcast. You get to start your week with us and end your week with us. With With love, Brenda and Julia. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.